when I hear them, and if we're open to hear, because you know we all have free will, freedom of choice, and so it's up to us whether we really want to listen and take it in our heart. Jeremiah 31 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, so I am constant in my affection to you. 31 3, he is constant. That means he's always is in love with us, is always loving us, is always with us. Now, I like this part that says he wants to be with you personally. I think all of us, um, as Catholic Christians, know a lot about the Lord, know a lot about God. You know, many of us went to Catholic schools. If not, we have faith formation of one sort or another. Um, I know I went first 12 years to Catholic school and so forth, cradle Catholic, and I could tell you I had a bad, had a lot of facts and figures, you know. Um, but I can't say that I knew him personally. Like, like you know your best friend. Like you know your husband or your wife. Like you know your children. Like if you think about those people that you're closest to and that you can share anything with. And those people that really know you, know, you, know your heart, know how you feel, know how you think, know what makes you happy, know what makes you sad. Um, that's what I'm talking about about knowing someone personally. Um, not just an acquaintance, but a personal relationship. <clears throat> and so, Holy Day, would you give me a word, please? I'm getting a Who were gathered in the upper room in the Feast of Pentecost? Hey. 
So that all that was brand new to me. Um, and hearing people that spoke like this. And I remember when I went home at the time, our kids were, um, were five and eight. And um, her said, well, how was it? I said, it was really different. And he said, what do you mean? I said, they talked about Jesus like I talk about you and Michael and John, like they really know him. He said, how did he get that? I said, I don't know, but I'm going back next week to find out. So, um, so I did. I went back next week and found out, and they talked a lot about the Holy Spirit and, and how that can become real for us. And they started having these meetings in the church hall um, when the um, season was over. And there were a group of people who had come with them who kind of helped get the meeting started. And at the meetings, they sang songs like we did. Um, they talked a lot about um, having a personal relationship with Jesus. And they talked about that over and over again. And I knew that as much as I knew a lot about how we were very involved, we were on the parish council, we were on the finance committee, you know, we were ministers of the Eucharist, um, lectors. We did all that, all that stuff. But all that didn't bring us to where these people were. And I knew it. I didn't understand that. I didn't particularly like it. But I knew that they had something that I didn't have. And um, I found out that they had committed their life and their hearts to Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. Um, and one week I was asked, have you ever done that? Well, you know, nobody had ever asked me if I'd ever done that. Nobody all through uh, in marriage, nobody in Catholic schools I went to, none of my friends. Nobody talked about that about inviting Jesus into your heart as a personal Lord and Savior. So, um, so I thought that must be the key, you know. And uh, so I did that. I was led through a prayer to commit my life to Jesus. And my life has never been the same since then. It was really good before. And I didn't feel a need. I didn't have a felt need for anything more. But yet when I saw what the Lord was and heard people talk about the Lord, it made me hungry for more. And um, so that's my story. And so I did that, and my life changed completely. And I kept going to those meetings. And um, I learned about the gifts of the Spirit and asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and yielded to different gifts and started doing things like this. And um, so that one week that I was going to go back and find out, that was in 1975. And I haven't stopped coming back since. So. Um, this, this is talk, going to talk all about that, about the Jesus who really loves us, no matter what we've done. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, God is the God of the second chance. And we all need second chances, don't we? This always reminds me, for 30 years I taught um, young children. And they would always say, can I have another chance? Can I have another chance? You know, when they do something new, I'm supposed to do. They always wanted another chance. Our kids would say that. Just give me another chance. And as adults, we do things that we wish we could do over, have a do-over, you know, change it. Um, and who can give that to us? Who, who can? We can't go back and change things. We can't go back and solve our own problems oftentimes. But we can do it with the Lord. Come to know Him personally. And what happens with that is, the scriptures, I always knew the scriptures, but they didn't have a significance to me where I would have a certain scripture in my life that I could use and really stand on it and pray about it and all that. 
before that 1975 event. And um, then I found that, that, you know, the scriptures are really speaking to me. I'm really starting to understand and speaking to me personally. And, um, and that's what I'm going to all of you. Because it's, um, it's a wonderful experience. You find you have a lot of gifts that you have not had that can help other people and bring other people into that same experience. Um, the human race is good, but it's fallen. Each man and woman have an opportunity to be saved. And that's when we, when we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Um, from the beginning, we were made in the image and likeness of God. We were given a mission to multiply and subdue the earth. But then the scripture said, God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and birds in the sky, and the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created us, mankind. In his image, in the image of God, he created us, male and female, he created us. God blessed us and said to us, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And that's in Genesis 1, 26 and 20 and 28. So, the important thing is, I think, to really know, and you know what, not because here God loves us, sure, we've been here that since we were at preschool. Um, yeah, well, he loves everybody. And we can kind of write it off to the, like that and think about it that way. But what's really important is for each and every one of you to know that he loves you. He loves you personally. He's that person that I spoke about in the beginning that knows how you feel. Is that person, is that God that knows what's in your heart? He knows what worries you. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what hurts you carry deep within your heart. He knows the things that have been said to you that maybe were said years and years ago, but they still play, play like a tape in your, in your mind uh, certain times. He knows all of that. And he wants you to know he knows it. And he wants you to come to know him in that same way. And through what we're doing here, and through different prayers, you know, that, that will be offered, that can happen. It can really happen. It doesn't have to be, uh, like, God's up there. And that's how I saw it before 75. He was up there, and I was down here. And, um... My image was, he was like sitting on a throne and he my beard and he was very um, judging, you know. Because even at school, the nuns would say, I'm going to leave the room, but you see that eye up there, he's going to be watching. Anybody else have that nun? <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, as a little kid, you believe that. So, um, but, but, so that's, that's, the, that's the real reason. That's, so as you hear all of this over these next weeks, Hopefully, it's drawing you closer and closer to make that decision, to invite him into your heart as a personal Lord and Savior, and then to discover the power and the gifts and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because there's nothing in the world like it. And as I said, I, um, you know, I thought my life was great then, and it was. I had no idea what was down the road. I had no idea what we'd be facing. The challenges that would be facing her and I in the future. You know, none of us do. But I want to tell you, um, having, uh, I mean, I, I was diagnosed with breast cancer at a very young age. Um, 
that, things we left behind, that's 30 years ago, um, that having, having known the Lord this way and carrying Him with me in that and having certain scriptures and, and it made all the difference, all the difference in the world. You know, um, having her catch her sons and then, um, you know, her later on in life developed uh, lymphoma that was a major cell that there was nothing for that and yet we, we had seven years. A lot of that extra seven years that the Lord gave us was because of the prayer that, that many, many people were praying for us and praying for him and, and because we, we believed, you know, that the Lord would give us the time that, that we needed. And in that time, two of our, our younger grandchildren, four and two, were born. And in that time, we had to have a lot of nice trips together that we had always wanted to do. And um, during that time, the Ravens won the Super Bowl, <laughs> TSL holders, so that was a biggie. So um, all of those things, but all of those things were made much easier. And were made, we were capable of dealing with them without feeling completely undue because of that presence of the Lord, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, and because then there was a community of people, you know, that felt the same way. And that we grew close to, and they grew close to us, and then we shared that common denominator of being knowing the Lord and knowing His Word and praying with and over and for one another. So, as you go through the week, Romans 3.23 is a wonderful scripture to grab hold of. Um, letter B tells us that God's holiness and majesty, His beauty, and His nature as love is intolerable with sin. Yeah. Majesty. His holiness, his majesty, in other words, saying very simply, he doesn't like sin. He doesn't like it when we sin, and he doesn't like sin. The reason the reason we see it when we're not with me? No, I, I wasn't speaking so fast, I couldn't catch okay. one second line. Sure, okay. If you can't catch me, just raise your hand and I'll, yeah, I'll repeat it. God's holiness yeah. and majesty, yeah. his beauty, ah. and his nature as love is intolerable for sin. So, this means that God's wrath is not that he is angry with the human race, but his nature is incompatible with the devastation that sin causes the human race. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. And that's in Romans 1, 18. Sin, return the page now, sin is the source of our unhappiness. If you think about it, those things that make us sad, make us unhappy, um, all come because we live in a broken world. Because there is sin in the world. There is darkness in the world. But God sent his only son. He sent his only son to us. For God sent his only son. And whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, the whosoever, that's us. We're the whosoever. All of us. All of us gathered here tonight. All of us at the church are whosoever. So anybody that comes to him, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we believe in him and grow close to him and come to know him personally as he, as he wants us to. You know, we will not perish, but have eternal life. So he wants that for us. 
These are all the anxieties and fears and brokenness of the human heart that we face. Institutional evil. These are all the injustices, oppression of people, slavery of people, corruption and greed that afflicts human relationships. Death is the consequence of sin in the world. Grief and pain of separation is real. Our efforts to resist the evil in our society and within ourselves is good, but not enough. The person of faith has an advantage because Jesus has conquered evil. So, while we can solve the problem of a broken world, of a fallen, a fallen world, Jesus came. And so, rather than being part of the problem, we can all join together and be part of the solution. When we go to the bad guy, like it was, go to the bad guy, Jesus Christ, and we give our hearts and our lives to him. So I'm going to stop now, and Father Dale is going to continue on, and this story was really in my place. So look at number three here on your outline. Um, God forms a covenant with his people so they can so they can be his family. So let's take a look as you fill that in. Let's go in your Bibles to Romans chapter one. We'll take a look now a little bit more closely at Romans and the scripture here to kind of understand um, what is meant by covenant and why the human race ended up being so devastated by its moving away from the Lord. Uh, and then set up really for next week we'll talk about why there's a need for good news. So let's take a look. Romans chapter 1, and we're getting the first, actually verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the, Old, in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who has descended from David according to the flesh and designated Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That was one sentence. Any English professor would have flunked Paul. <laughs> I had somebody say to me, a lecture says to me last, was the last week with the other readings, he said, hey, look, St. Paul has the longest sentences I've ever saw. You know? So, okay, so with, let's look, take a look at this. Verse 2 begins first with, he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. It's referring to the Old Testament. It's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures. How God revealed himself to Abraham. And who really was a pagan who lived in Iraq, what we call Iraq today, and called him to come to know the living God. And he said, leave where you are, so I'm going to form a whole new family for you. And he didn't even say, take his family with him, but he brought him anyway. <laughs> but he said, so he started with Abraham, and then it goes from there with Moses, when the people were enslaved in Egypt, and how the Lord delivered those folks out of Egypt by tremendous signs and wonders. And then, of course, prophets that he raised up, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The prophets made promises of what God was going to do to change 
the hearts of people. Up until that point, uh, the people, all they could do was have the law that could guide them. The law was important, it was a guide, but it didn't have the power to change their hearts. And the prophets knew it, they understood that. And they said that one day the Lord will change hearts by giving people the Holy Spirit to live in them. That's what Paul means when he says, through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, that's what he's talking about. In other words, God has made promises to the human race in light of them having moved away from relationship of trust and obedience with him. Let's take a look at verse 3 and 4. The gospel concerning the son who is descended from David according to the flesh and designated son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Those two verses probably were verses that were part of an ancient Christian hymn that was sung. And it brings together, if you look at this, it brings together Jesus, who descended from David in his humanity, as talking about his humanity, and designates some of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness by his resurrection. That's referring to his divinity. So what Paul was doing is saying Jesus didn't just pop out of the air, he came through the descendants of David. In other words, God had prepared for the coming of his son through the people like David and people like Ruth and people like um, Old Testament figures. He used their lives. That's one of the things I think is important for us as Catholics to study the Old Testament because we can trace the plan of God for the whole human race through the lives of people there, people like Moses and David, through the triumphs and through the tragedies of Israel through their faithfulness and their unfaithfulness. We can see God's plan of salvation for us traced through their lives. It's really important to know that so we can appreciate and understand God's faithfulness to us, particularly through the life of Israel. Okay, and in verse 5, it says, The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all of the nations. Obedience of faith, meaning that it's an act of trust. That's what God is looking for in us, an act of trust in him, his plan, his purposes for our life. Mary, our mother, in faith, she is the uh, excellent response of faith and obedience to the Father's plan. She, in a sense, is the flower of Israel. She's the fruition of all that God had wanted to do through people. He was able to do in her. One act of obedience, one act of trust, one act of faith in him. Brought together. She did that on behalf of her entire people, not just herself, but for all of Israel, she did that. Okay, so let's look back at your outline, but let her be here. Paul has two specific Old Testament passages in mind. The passage we just read from Romans, he has two, he's, he's actually piggybacking off of two Old Testament passages. Well, the first one is from 2 Samuel, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. We actually won't read it, but Psalms 2, verse 7. Both of them speak of of the Davidic ruler. David was that person, but he was just a foreshadowing of another Davidic ruler. That would be the person of Jesus. In ancient Israel, sons were by decree of royal adoption on the day of their enthronement. So in other words, a, a king was considered a son, but he only became a son on the day when he was enthroned as king. This reflected God's passionate pursuit in love of his people. In other words, that God wanted to have sons and daughters. And so he, the king was to symbolize God's desire to have sons and daughters. The hope was that he would have a people, sons and daughters, who would respond to him in love. On Easter morning, 
the summons in the Old Testament was elevated to a new level when the divinity humanity of Jesus, anointed for eternal kingship, was made to share his divine sonship. So when Jesus rose from the dead, who he already was the eternal son of God, but in his humanity was joined now, his resurrected humanity was joined to his eternal sonship as the son of God. So he always was the son, but now he was revealed as the son. And guess what? In him, we become sons and daughters because of that. And that's something that is entirely unique to Christianity. From the very beginning of the garden, God had Adam and Eve, his son and daughter. And his son and daughter walked away from him. In the story uh, in the New Testament, Jesus tells that kind of capsulizes that is the prodigal son story, where the prodigal son said to the father, Give me what I deserve and give me what my inheritance will be, which was a, a total disrespect for the father because he didn't ask for that until the father had passed away. Some wanted it, but the father in his graciousness gave it. And so, what's the son do? He squanders it. And here's the son, here's Adam. He was given so much. He was walked in the cool of the garden with God and chose to believe a lie about God that he wasn't trustworthy. And he moved away. And with that came the untold suffering of the human race. But when the son returned, the prodigal son that is, then the father embraced him. Of course, that's what he did through the person of Jesus. But that's what Paul is kind of like speaking these verses out of that context, that understanding. Letter C. A covenant is a contract between people that establishes a new relationship between them and calls them forth into a new way of living. In the Old Testament, for example, God made a covenant with Abraham. It meant a whole new life for him, a whole new beginning, a whole new relationship with God. When the Lord delivered Israel out of Egypt, the Passover, it was a whole new relationship was beginning with Israel at that point. Example of that, marriage is a covenant relationship between two people, male and female, that calls forth a new relationship and a new way of living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Two people become one means they have a new relationship with one another now. A new relationship living that underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So they, they were two individuals before. Now they have a new relationship with each other and a new relationship with the Lord. Now, all our sacraments are covenant relationships that are established. We'll be talking more about that in weeks ahead. A sacrament is a covenant relationship with us. It establishes a new relationship between us and God. So when we have the Eucharist, for example, that's a covenant relationship. God has made a contract with us, so to speak. We, he wants to establish a new relationship with us as he gives us the bread, the body of his son, the blood of his son. That calls forth from us a new way of living, a new way of responding to it. Covenant is the, the kind of the backdrop to all of Paul's letter to the Romans. That's the backdrop. So if you understand covenant, you understand what God intended for the human race from the beginning. And then when sin came into the picture, it broke the covenant. But it will see in just a few minutes, God is so faithful that he wasn't going to allow his, his covenant to fall by the wayside. So let's turn over to number four. Faced with the reality of sin, Faced with the reality of sin, it's your fill-in. 
on the one hand, and the saving love of the Trinity on the other hand, we must choose. So look back at your Bibles with me. Take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Now think of covenant, okay? Think, think of the relationship God established with our first parents, Adam and Eve, sons and daughters, son and daughter, you know? And then that was broken. And then all of Israel was about him trying to reestablish that with them because of his love for the human race. Okay, and now he needs to change people's hearts. So verse 16, for I, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Just take a look at that verse right there, verse 16. Just, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. What he means by not ashamed is I'm not bashful or the good news. Okay. In other words, you're not going to keep Paul quiet on it. And one of the reasons why that is because Paul... On his road to Damascus, he was Saul of Tarsus, persecuting the Christians. He encountered the risen Christ, and he was dramatically changed by a love he never met before. A love that completely overwhelmed him. That's why he says in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because he experienced that love. And that was love was so powerful for his life, it rendered him totally helpless before it. And it changed, radically changed who he was. Okay, so verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And the word for gospel here is good news. Um, it's the word we get for uh, evangelist or egalion, uh, or it actually it refers to, uh, to give an example, a military example. When a, a, two armies were battling it out, and one army was winning, they would take one of their slaves and send them into town, the town they were, he was from, and he would yell at the top of his lungs, um, you know, we are winning the battle, we're winning the battle, and that was considered good news. And if he made it into town safely, he was given his freedom. So good news has to do with winning a battle and getting our freedom. And the battle, of course, is with sin and the freedom is from sin. Okay, so uh, verse 17 now. For, it, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, he through faith, he through faith is righteous shall live. Okay, so let's take a look at some of these words, because they're really key to Paul's letter to the Romans. First of all, righteousness of God. Um, now, righteousness of God in, in, means God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promises. Remember in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, the first thing that God did was he promised them a redeemer. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says, he says that um, of a woman will be born of a seed that will uh, bruise the heel of the serpent, basically. So, so God is faithful. So righteousness means God is faithful to his promises. It also means God gives power, the grace of power, to live a new life. So think of it this way. God is faithful to his promises. What is his promises? His promises to save the human race, to change our hearts. And secondly, he says he gives grace, he gives power to be able to live a new life. 
So what is the power? What is the grace? It's the Holy Spirit who gives. And that for us as Catholics liturgically then occurs in baptism. There we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're given grace, as it were. So two things happen in baptism. That God shows his faithfulness, that's his righteousness, but then he gives us grace, he gives us the power to live out that life. It's called the Holy Spirit. So God declares us, as it were, um, his sons and daughters through the waters of baptism. Okay, verse 17. For it in for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. So what is righteousness? Um, I'm sorry, the whole other way of saying that is justification. So in other words, God vindicates us. He acquits us. He pronounces us righteous in his sight. He justifies us. Meaning he accepts us and brings us into right relationship with him. This is only possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. And it begins for us in the waters of baptism. So what Paul is talking about here is that, is that God is faithful and that he makes us righteous in his sight by giving us the gift of his Holy Spirit. So what uh, was mentioned earlier and has teaching about turning to Christ and accepting him as our Lord and Savior and opening our heart up to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Basically, what is taking place there when we make that action today is we're saying that what was given to us back in the waters of baptism, I want to commit my life to and live by that today. So, so I want to live by his power so I can have a transformed life, a changed life, so I can live free of sin, so I can experience a love that comes from his heart that is a powerful love to change my life. I would experience his mercy. Okay, so letter B on your outline, on your number four. Righteousness means that the covenant faithfulness of the Lord, as the word covenant comes up again. God is being faithful to his covenant. God keeps his promises to save and restore us. It also means an inward grace that establishes us in a right covenant relationship with God. Letter C, it's through faith then in the Lord, his plan and what has what he has done advances the Christian life. So faith is really important. Uh, Habakkuk, the prophet, says, Behold, he whose soul is not upright in him shall fail, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And faith simply means accepting, trusting, obeying the Lord. And that's a decision that we make. So letter D, God's grace moves us to choose life by choosing Jesus. I mean, God is not beyond, um, you know, being, he's not beyond, like, pro, pro, right protocol or things like that. He'll do anything to push us towards Jesus. He'll do anything to say, hey, believe in my son, believe in my son. You know, stop stalling. Believe in him. Trust in him. You know, you know, it's like he's constantly prodding us to believe in his son, trust in his son, open our heart up to his son. And of course, that's what we mean by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Okay, um, so letter D, God respects our freedom. God the Father has a plan for our life, and Jesus is at the heart of that plan. So the Holy Spirit's work then is to guide us and the guarantee of our new life in Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. It's what we call him the creed, the Lord and giver of life. It's the Holy Spirit's job, responsibility here on earth, 
to draw us more deeply into the Father's plan and covenant love. So some, sometimes as Catholics, and some people have some misconceptions about Christianity, so let's look at a couple of them. The first is, God is remote, and religious experience is suspect. Okay. In other words, God is distant and foreign from us. I like the phrase that God made the world and left us to run it. Okay. That's a clear, that's a clear de definition of God's remoteness. Okay. And, uh, and religious experience means that I have to grit my teeth and do the best I can, but I'll never come into living contact with him. Well, of course, that's not true. John Paul, St. John Paul II said that the church rests on this assumption that Jesus Christ is alive, he's at work in history, and he's encountering people, he's changing lives. So, so we have a God who wants to encounter us, who's not remote, but who wants to draw close to us. The second misconception is that Christianity is about moral conduct. That's the, the main thing. Living upright is the main thing. Um, that's like the thing. So, you know, kind of what's a good Catholic? Uh, keep all the rules. Kind of thing. That's a good Catholic. You know, well, that's really a misconception of Christianity. Um, Christianity is about surrendering our hearts to the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us so that we can live a righteous life. So the first thing that is being spoken to all of us as Catholics is the gospel, the good news. What, what God's plan is for us, what he's done for us, how he's answered the dilemma of sin in the human race, and then how we can be able to live out his expectations for us. So I know as, as a Catholic growing up all my life, I've heard always, particularly in homilies, that you have to be a good person, a nice person, you know, be be civil, you know, um, you know, try to do good things for people and so on, which is fine. But no one ever told me about the power I needed to be able to live that way. Because I mean, how you are, I was like up and down, roller coaster ride and all that stuff, you know. And if I saw something that was to my advantage, I'd choose my advantage and do a little something over here for somebody else, trying to justify all that. You know that works. Well, that's that's you know that's trying to jump through hoops and trying to be moral in my own ability, and uh, actually can't do it. it. Doesn't work. So the first thing to do is to have my heart changed by the power. Of God's love through the Holy Spirit. That can only come through the gospel, the good news. Number three, some people believe misconceptions that Christianity is just simply about love and service. That's enough. In other words, just love people and serve people. And that's it. You don't have to worry about what you believe. It's not as important as just loving and serving people. Again, that's important, isn't it? To love people and serve people. But we're talking here about having my heart changed from within. And I can't do that. That's a problem that I cannot solve. Because, <laughs> you know, because there are, as we'll see later on, there are things I want to do that I don't seem to be able to do. It's the good things I want to do, but I don't seem to be able to always do that consistently. And there are things I certainly don't want to do, but I end up doing them anyway. You know, and, and so love and service isn't enough. I need something that will change my heart. And fourthly, Jesus is the only, is the only one of many ways to the Father. is only one of many ways, I should say. In other words, uh, people say, well, Jesus is just like any other person, any other great prophet, holy teacher, and so on. There's many ways to God. There's many roads to God. The problem with that uh, is that it fails to take into consideration the uniqueness of God's response to the dilemma of the human race. 
that God did something unique in Jesus. He didn't do that uniqueness in Mohammed or Buddha or Moses or Confucius. He did, it, he did something unique in Jesus because he loved the human race so much that he did something unique in sending his son. And his son, in a complete act of love and sacrifice for us in obedience and love to the Father, did something entirely unique. He gave up his entire life for us. Or like as one of the saints said, that when Jesus was being scourged by the Roman soldiers, the angels turned away from him in horror that his creation was scourging God. God's creation was scourging God. That's what St. Paul meant in Philippians 2, that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality as something to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself and became a slave. And he died on the cross, and God raised him up. That's the uniqueness of Jesus. And when people say he's one among many ways, then the problem is we fail to see the uniqueness of God's gift of his soul. Liturgy. The Father wants us to experience through the power of the Spirit that Jesus Christ is the perfect reflection of his compassion, mercy, healing, and love at work in our daily life. The grace of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is meant to touch every aspect of Christian living and pastoral practice. Okay. All right. We're going to take a few minutes um, in your groups or tables, and let's take a look at uh, just uh, you can pick. Uh, let's, how about if we do this uh, table up front here with Stefan, you take it number one, okay, and then Diane, your table number two, and the table in the back, Evelyn, number three, and the table up front here, uh, tile number four. And just look at that one and, and just kind of like reflect on that together, and then we'll kind of do a large group discussion. So we'll take about, uh, about seven minutes for that. Yes. Mm -hmm.